welcome to Aerial Evolution. I'm Rowan. And I'm Jane. With us today is Jane Osborne. Another Jane, a Los Angeles-based aerialist, actor, and circus performer hailing from England. Jane has performed all over the world and currently teaches at Aeroform Arts Studio in Hollywood, California. Among the things that we are looking forward to in our conversation with Jane is hearing about her introduction to aerial in the late 80s, early 90s, how she began teaching aerial, and her thoughts on developing artistically and technically as a performer. If you like what you hear and want to join in on the discussion, find us on Instagram or Facebook at Aerial Evolution Pod. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want more info on what was discussed, make sure to check out the links in the show notes. Let's get started. How are you? Good, how are you? This is great. I mean, at the moment, people are really digging into podcasts. And I think it's it's a really nice idea. Yeah, because we usually don't have time to kind of like go into all this. I mean, it's a real honor to be here and to be asked about things because I do have a long history. But you just kind of you just get on with life, you know, and it's like you've got your old friends who you chat over the old times with. One of the really interesting things and what we're kind of looking forward to with having these conversations and starting to approach the, you know, the history of Ariel and its development in this way is the things that are a little bit different and starting to look at us like, oh, so that's the history that they learned and that's what they learned. And here's the commonality and start to sort of put all the pieces together. Yeah, for sure. Because I've done a lot of online research to see what is already out there and there does seem to be conflicting stories and a lot of copy and pasting so if one story goes up all the other like schools are just copy pasting and it's like I don't think a couple of those things are right um, Mm -hmm. but it's just propagating Mm -hmm. so that's always been a little bit of a uh yeah so you know but when you're teaching you get the chance to tell stories to your students which is something I will go off on oh back in the day and this used to happen and we did this and, you know, and kind of without trying to be too obnoxious. We are looking at 30 years ago now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to get to know you a little bit better and get our listeners to know you, can you talk a little bit about your personal history with Ariel, how you got into circus originally and how your work and career has evolved? Yeah. So my history in circus goes back to 1989. But my first aerial was 98. But I had a history in traditional circus before I started to do aerial, which includes going to circus school. And during that time is when, you know, silks wasn't really happening. So let's see, I was a trained dancer. And then I coincidentally got a job on Knie Circus in Switzerland. So that was my first sort of circus exposure to you know, world-class circus acts. And then I just got the circus bug and I worked on Roncalli Circus. I was in Dimitri Theatre Company in Switzerland, who's a clown, famous Swiss clown. And I was with them for four years and they included circus skills as well. I wasn't doing aerial. And in 95, my first time on equipment was a workshop with Exponential in Leeds in the north of England. And that was trapeze and rope. And we did a show in a park after about six weeks. So it was quite intensive. And that was my first try at doing aerial. Just because I'd been around circus for that long and I just really wanted to try it. But I'd already been dancing for like 10 years professionally before that. So I was just trying it out. 
and actually a few people from that workshop became professional so that was interesting that was in 95 and then I went back to dancing on a circus in 96 that was in Tokyo after that I actually came to the States to be with my now husband John Gilke who was touring with Kidam and he was like the central ringmaster character in Kidam in the original cast so I toured with Kidam in the first year and that was my first time that I ever saw silks and that was Isabel Vordell so that was the first exposure to silks which I'm going to focus on silks because that's what I primarily did after that let's see 97 is when I decided to go to circus school and I went to Circus Maniacs in Bristol in England and I was one of the first full-time students with Jackie Williams who was in Circuit of Invente in 87 I think and she did a cradle act with Andrew Watson who is now heavily involved with Cirque du Soleil. So she was pregnant at the time and not being able to train herself and she was investing heavily in me and it was great. It's just what I needed. I did trapeze, cordelies, tight wire and stilt walking and she really thought I was going to be a tight wire walker which she does herself. Yes, I trained for that year, 97 and then 98 there was a Fogel silk sack in uh, Zippo Circus in England which I was invited to audition for through personal contacts. And then I did a full tour doing the Silks Act in 98, which just set me up for life, really, because we were doing like 10 shows a week, quite a traditional circus with horses and animals and other aerial acts as well. And then, let's see, 99 is when I met Michelle Laney, my duo partner, and we worked together for about 10 years. And then we got immediately into the corporate circuit parties, international traveling. It was just full on. And we were just working everywhere that never had seen aerial silks before. And it was when circus started to get into the corporate scene and it was like the new thing. So all the parties and all the big events they wanted, especially aerial because it's so visual. They also had other acts and we do stilt walking and everything like that as well. And that was until I came to America and that was in 2009. And along all of that journey, what do you feel like influenced you most as an artist, as you were continuing to sort of move from dance into circus and then finally finding aspects of aerial like silks? Well, I think my main influence that I've always said was actually just really in the early days that my first exposure in circus was to high-level international acts. In 1989, there was only one aerial act and it was straps and it was the twins, the Pantelienkos from Russia. And they were uh, one of the first acts to work outside of Russia after the Soviet fell. Back in the 70s, they were performing. They won gold at the top Russian circus competition and they closed the ceremony for the Russian Olympics in 1980. So 1989 was one of their first circuses outside of Russia. And I always find it a lovely coincidence that they were twins. And when I worked with Michelle, we're very similar and we worked as twins. I don't know if that just like embedded into me that we were going to do a twins act. So I saw that, you know, every day for 10 months. And I saw how circus people are so dedicated and the work ethos and the skill. And that really has been the main influence is just working really hard to be the best that you can be. Because back in those days, when people had a circus act, they had an act that they did all the time. They, uh, You may have had like two or three acts, but it was quite unusual because every act was so high skill. There was less compared to now of, you know, changing it up all the time. You had, you had your act and you just worked really hard at it. 
so that was kind of where I'm coming from. But I really just take inspiration because I'm a dancer and I just like everything that's got a good line and well executed. But I also really like good ideas, just inventiveness. And because I'm quite theatrical, I love theatrical, but not losing the skill, you know, just having a good idea or a character that did actually that that came later, the, the character, you know, with Nubo So I love that you just mentioned character because as you've been talking, I've actually mm-hmm. formed a question. If you have types of characters that you love playing? Uh, personally, yes. I mean, there's this like what you can do for your work and then what you're really kind of like. So I know that I'm really good at just clean lines and being quite balletic really because of my ballet training. So a lot of what I did was quite just very clean and skill-based but we also did a lot of stilt walking so that gave us more creative opportunities for creating characters but in recent years I've discovered that I just really like being a witch actually I just I just love being witch I love cackling I love fighting and and recently I've had some opportunities to do that to have like aerial fight scenes uh, for Hollywood Fringe show and just being kind of witchy and hard and rock and roll kind of thing awesome which I didn't really get a chance of in the beginning but now with more theater about that's what I think that's my favorite yeah (laughs) that's fantastic so I'm curious and you're talking about your circus background and also your ballet background and I'm wondering about aerial through circus and aerial through dance and do you see a difference Mm -hmm. what defines circus and what defines aerial dance do you have a distinction between them or do you see it all as one thing yeah it's an interesting question because when I went from dance to aerial there was definitely the period where dancers were using dance trapezes and incorporating aerial but I wouldn't say it was very high skill but it was beautiful and I kind of decided quite early on that I wanted to get the skills I just wanted to incorporate having a, a nice line and flexibility and also I like choreographing and I'm a musician as well so I for me I really like working to music so that was my dance elements brought over that I really like to choreograph to music and if you're working with someone else or in a group then that's really important I'd say that my speciality when we got into choreographing group acts was choreographing a group act to music that was beautiful like a ballet but in the air but skill-based it's amazing when top dancers do aerial I found that even friends of mine who tried aerial as a dancer they just immediately was like oh god it's not for me because they knew immediately that they would need to spend a long time climbing rope doing pull-ups getting burns and it was just not for them so to have that skill as as a really beautiful ballet dancer and having the strength I think that's a really special thing and then just in general are there Things in particular that sort of evolutionary or big benchmarks in the evolution of aerial that you haven't already talked about that you think would be important for people to know about? Yeah. Well, the big exposures was Isabel Vaudel in Kidam in 96. And it was 96, not 98, as is sometimes recorded. But the video of that didn't come out till 99. So that was the first big world stage. Also, 95, she did Soak the Demand in Paris and got silver. So that was probably the first time. So going back on Isabel Vaudel, her trainer was Gerard Fazoli, and that was in Chalon. There's two schools in France which are now joined together, Chalon and Rosny-Subois. 
which is just outside Paris. And the two schools are now both like joined together as National Circus School. They have courses, I think, that they they overlap. And um, she was there in 93, possibly 92. But there are actually her school shows. She did silks in 93. And her school show in 94, she did silks. 93 silks, 94 silks. 95 soaked to the man, 96 Kidam. So they found her. She went over to Kidam. So her, tr- her teacher is Gerard Fazoli, which was teaching at that time. And it is said from me talking to personal contacts and also French history that Gerard Fazoli was teaching, you know, late 80s, even 90s. And the class of 90 graduating in 92 was the ones that really explored silks. Uh, maybe he suggested it. I can't say for sure, but that's where it came out. So 92, there was a few students who came out with silks. So Gerard Fazoli is widely credited with bringing that into being. In a continuation, there has been other things in the past, but I don't think there was any documented continuation. It's just kind of maybe a one-off and for sure people have had the idea. But this is like the thread we're on. So Gerard Fazoli is definitely working with Isabel Vaudel in 93 which is documented. And he was teaching before that and the class that came out in 92. And the names that I, I, I don't know them, but the names I have that graduated are Valerie Dubois, Katia Galleon, Fred, Frederick Debit, which is Fred Deb. And people know her here because she came over in Boulder, Colorado about 2005. So it seems that it came out of that graduating class uh, with Gerard Fazoli as a teacher from colleagues of mine who were in that arena at the time, said that it was also working with chains. Now, I actually saw that in Switzerland in the early 90s, because I was living in Switzerland for five years. There was an act working on chains, and I didn't realise till years later that it was like silks. It wasn't chains as we do today, which is usually more like loops of chains. This was just two chains. And then he'd do like silks moves, like climbing, and crucifix and footlocks and all that. And I didn't realize till a few years later, I said, I'm sure I've seen this footlock before. And I realized that it was working on chains. So I saw him doing chains and now I I had to think about it, but the show that I saw him do chains in with our chaos, because he had a he was working in our chaos, which is a huge exposure for inventive aerial art. So we're looking at, I think, 92, possibly earlier. Isabel Vardell at the Soap de Man was definitely the big world exposure. That was in 95 and then Kidam 96. But our chaos was really big in England in the early 90s. And when they started, they had traditional circus acts, but by about 93, Gerard Fazoli was performing with them and he was doing his chains act. And then in 94, they actually introduced a silks act. It's not really an act, but they were using silks and they had some moves. They were doing the split silks. It was big. They had maybe three or four. They also had a cloud swing going. And they also had a hoop, which was an early reference to hoop. They had a, a loop in the fabric, so like a hammock. They had a swinging pole, I think. It was just an amazing time. And the fact that our chaos was just so archaic and rock and roll and chainsaws, and it was just everything opposite that had ever been before. So that was the first time silks in England, I think, was 94 Our Chaos. Hmm. So off the back of that, there was a production company, Acrobat Productions, Roger Robinson, who I've worked with a lot. And then he put together a group in 95 that started working silks 
in England and they were doing like motor shows and, you know, trade shows and started to do the corporate scene in 95, carrying on 96, 97. One of the people in that original group got me into Zippo's in 98. There was not many people at that time. There was maybe 10 who were doing silks. Oh, wow. And there was like one of my friends who I work with a lot, Lucy Morgan, she was one of the original group. And then her and Susie, Susie Barton, they did a duo synchronized silks act in Circus Princess in, which was a female only festival, I think. And that was in 97. So that was a very clean line synchronized silks act. And that just got taken out enormously. So that was just a very explosive era, but there was still not that many people doing it. And we were all just mainly working on creating new material because I'd come out of circus school with like Cordelise. So I knew, you know, hip locks and inverts and climbs and footlocks. So when I got the job in Zippo's, I hadn't done silks before, although I'd seen it. So I basically had to learn the act in two weeks, but then I had like a year to drill it. (laughs) So that was my education. Then when I met Michelle in 99, we're doing Viva. Then that's when we really dug in to create our own original act. So using what had gone before, which is how circus works, we took all the moves that we knew from friends, from other works, from colleagues, from and we used them, but then created all our original material because you had to have an original act. The big thing is you have to remember that this is pre-YouTube. There was right. no way of just watching anyone's video. You had to know someone. Usually it was skill sharing. You'd know someone mm-hmm. and you'd skill share or you'd go and see a show and you'd try and figure it out. But our chaos really brought to England so many new inventive ideas. It was just a real and an important time. Yeah, sounds like it. Because uh, actually, um, some people are wondering about the evolution of hoop, but I would say that Archaeos early 90s were using hoops, so that might have been. I don't really know for sure, because Archaeos was so big in England, they did like the Edinburgh Festival, and, you know, they recorded all that, so you can see them. And if you look at the, like the 1990 show, there wasn't much except for traditional aerial. And I don't know who, you know, did it, or I don't know those people, except for Jarrah Fazeli, who was then performing Silks and chains so in the English and French circus world Silks is definitely credited to Jared Fasoli and he's now the general manager of uh, the, the French National Circus School well, that's cool we'll have to reach out hopefully he speaks English that would be awesome because there's a couple of interviews with him in French that I haven't managed to decipher yet although mm. my French is okay but the, the, the French circus scene at that time was just nuts. I mean, there was a little circus called Cirque O, which was so like poetic and inventive. And then I tried to look them up because I saw them in France in like 91. And then the cast, at that time, it's when people were starting to film things. But the cast had decided not to do photographs or filming, you know, from a from an ethos point of view. So there are, there isn't anything except for like one set of promo photographs. Oh no. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, because nobody thought that everything was going to be on video one day. Right. It's obviously so different now, where if it's not video, it didn't happen. And I I was just on the cusp of that. I think I have one video from Zippo's, and that was even in 1998. So I'm curious, you know, you're talking about there being 10 people and this original group why do you think it's just blown up so much right obviously I was in England till 2009 so one big thing that happened which I'm really proud of is that Acrobat Productions Roger Robinson auditioned us and coordinated to do a short film for the BBC BBC don't have commercials but they have short films between programs so three of us 
me and my partner Michelle Laney and also Melissa Marin, three girls, we did a an ident on silks and it was run on the BBC from 2002 to 2006. A lot of people who've never seen circus were exposed to it. And obviously we had our showreel on the TV. So, you know, we got a lot of bookings. That's amazing. <laughs> so that helped. That was quite an amazing time because we were kind of like creating the workspace. People who were mainly gymnasts and dancers were coming in and saying, oh, I can do this. There's places I can train. I can try it. There was circus space in London, which then eventually got a degree course. But in the early days, you could just go and train. And there wasn't really any, you know, dropping classes. You had to go to like proper circus school. But if you're a professional, you could go to circus space and train. And another thing that happened in England was for the millennium, for the 2000s, they had a big show in the Millennium Dome and they hired a lot of people. I don't know quite how many, but a lot of people to do this big show with a lot of aerial components, not silks, but they had stilts on bungees and cordelis and I can't remember, just a lot of things. So they trained up people from scratch and they trained them for up to a year in 99. And I was going to do that, but I met Michelle, my partner, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do, the dome show or work with Michelle? So I made the right decision because we created a lovely act. The show ran for a year. So in 2001, there was like maybe 50 new aerialists came out of that in England. And they were all, you know, madly creating their own acts. And we had circus agents. Which was great. We had agents that specifically worked in circus acts at that time. So you made your act, you got on the agent, they booked you. And I would say that was a huge input to the aerial scene in London Mm. at that time. Yeah. That's awesome. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thinking about the manner in which aerial moves are understood and communicated and seeing what your views are on standardization of this. So like, for example, you know, like I might call something an egg roll and you call it an ice cream maker or a ball tuck or something (laughs) like that. And then, you know, it's like, so students will come into different classes and we're all teaching the same moves or we're teaching a lot of the same moves and we call them completely different things. This kind of always makes me laugh. So I come from a time where things really weren't called anything. We were like, oh, it's the big drop or it's the leg up the back and the upside down splits move or knee drop. We knew what it meant and that's all that mattered. And then some things became like crucifix or iron cross or this, you know, this and that. And I had my terminology But I always tried to learn what people in my immediate vicinity were calling things. So I would reference it as what I felt the general consensus was. And then I'd always say, oh, yeah, but we used to call it this. And to be honest, once you've learned something one way, you get very loyal to it. And it's very hard to call it something else. Because we used to call like candy cane. We would call that girly roll-ups. (laughs) <laughs> I like it <laughs> but the girly roll-ups was like when you do the Lego it's like oh, wow. oh it's just like so yes I think obviously when you're teaching you need to be able to call things a certain way I agree so I you know I'm still inventing things so I just call them what they are basic you know and we are in such early days and I think students have a confusion as to why is it called different things all the time and you know and 
it is a bigger conversation. It's about people's history and what they call them. You know, one day, come back in 100 years and probably things will have settled down a bit. Yeah, each to their own, really. Since you had this big, beautiful career, is there advice that you would give to someone, a student, who was interested in chasing after something like that? Yeah, things are very different now. You know, Ariel has exploded. You can go and learn it and try it out. I really feel for some people that it's very difficult to fudge a career. I mean, the competition is just off the chart. I think people should realize that it's not Cirque du Soleil or nothing. But I think find a teacher that you trust and respect and uh, just really learn all you can. And a part of it is creating your own opportunities. And especially now, because people are videoing everything and everyone's really good at making films. They'll make a film, you know, create a good idea, do a good showreel. There are companies that take people and you just have to work out for yourself what the skill level is required. And if you have personally got the dedication, it can be very difficult because if you're really training Ariel to a high level, you can't really do anything else. It's really hard Mm. to just do it part time. I was fortunate to go to circus school. And then I remember making the decision, am I just going to do this? I mean, I never really had another job. So it wasn't like, you know, I didn't really have ever have a day job. So, but I could have gone dancing on another contract quite easily. So it was quite a big decision to decide, am I going to dedicate myself to just work on this, not knowing what will happen? Yeah. You know, of course, you're always going to get like the geniuses who are, you know, who are 18 years old and can do anything. and. Yeah, they'll get snapped up. But I think there are a lot of opportunities in a lot of places. And you just have to find your own place. Do you have any other things that we didn't hit on that you wanted to make sure we included in some sort of way? Oh, a couple of highlights, just because I'm really proud of them, is that I have a world record for the most group silks, which was 30 of us. And that was uh, five years ago, 2015. And it was international as well. I don't think they were all English, but that was pretty awesome. And that still holds. I was really proud to be part of that. And the funny thing is I had to learn the routine over video because I was here. And then I went, flew back to England. Actually, but talking about the evolution of silks, the world record of 30 girls doing synchronized silks together in 2015 for the Guinness World Records. I think that was quite an achievement. That was coordinated by an act above in England. We actually got sponsorship because everyone was professional. So the only way that we could have done it and rehearsed for it was be paid. There was a lot of rehearsals. And so a production company would sponsor us. And then we actually got the world record in the daytime with all the Guinness record people there and judges, people watching us. And then in the evening, we performed it again for like a private event. So that was great fun because then we got to do it again without the worry because you know no one could have made a move wrong what kind of Um, venue were you in it was at a party venue in london in the city trying to imagine 30 people all in the air and having enough room and not kicking each other no we were spaced out really nicely and it was all rainbow colors we had like you know yellow going to blue and all shades of silks and it looked really gorgeous and we had silver on and then it was great it was like the only time that we'd all work together at the same time because when you do an aerial act you don't work with other aerial acts you know or if you're doing silks you might be a trapeze but you're not going to see all your friends only in training so it was like one of the rare opportunities we all all these aerial girls got together which was awesome that's so fun and I also had the honor of performing at Buckingham Palace and a couple of other events for the Prince's Trust with Prince Charles 
That's amazing. So it was a very special time. And creatively speaking, because I said I was a musician, I play saxophone. I actually kind of got bullied into doing silks with saxophone for the Moisture Festival in Seattle. It was my husband, John Gilkey, and he was performing there, some comedy routines. And I wasn't living here yet, but I was visiting and, you know, training. And he said, oh, well, my girlfriend does silks. And they said, oh, no, we have silks. We have a couple of silks. We don't need any more silks. And then he said, oh, yeah, but she plays saxophone on silks. I was like, what? And I hadn't got anything. So then I spent the next three weeks intensely training a new act, playing saxophone on the silks. And we created a lovely act, I have to say. So sometimes you just need a little bit of bullying to get, you know, the next push onto the next thing. And I'm super proud of what we did. Is there a video of that? I would love to see it. There is. I can send you a link. Yeah. Um, Awesome. And it was hard because, you know, yeah. you're, you're out of breath. And then I was like hanging upside down playing saxophone. And uh, it was great. And I, I have to say, I don't think I've really touched on this, but my absolute favorite thing that has always been about Ariel is like the working out the new thing. What I can do that's new. Like when I worked with Michelle, we had a, a double sax, which was really new at that time. And we just we just played for three months. We just played and got tangled and tried this and tried that. And now Michelle's a scientist and a gymnast. So she was really good at things like kind of tricksy and momentum and how's this gonna work. And then I'd be adding choreography to it. But the actual the working out for me, that's the real joy. It's the real like, what can I bring that's new? I think that's a really special thing with Ariel because you might have to dig deep, but there is always something new and you have to remember or find what you individually can bring to it. And that might be a character. It might be acting. I know somebody who sings on silks. She's an amazing singer. So that's her thing. And yeah, I've, I've played saxophone in the air like a few times now on different shows. So that's, you know, maybe my thing. And maybe you've got some other skill that you can integrate or maybe you just have this one amazing trick that's that's your trick and that's your signature move. Yeah, for me, that's always been the really special thing. I got some of that back with Hammock because we were doing a little bit of Hammock back in the day when we were at a very high venue. We'd rig the silks with a little Hammock in the middle when it was like ambient hangabout, not so much strictly choreographed. So we were like working in little baby Hammocks. But then this is for another conversation with somebody else. Then the hammocks got longer. And yeah, and the choreography developed for its own art form rather than, you know, separate from silks. And obviously there's crossover, but now I've really dug into silks. That was really interesting for me because I had a lot of opportunity to play and get into that same mode of like, ooh, let me find what I can do and let me play and let me get tangled again. And it kind of rejuvenated the feeling I had from 20 years ago. And I really appreciated that. I like puzzles and I like, you know, trying things out until you absolutely can't hold on anymore. So it's physical and it's trying and it's using your mind and all these different aspects of Ariel, um, when they come together, I think that's what makes it so special. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to miss out Hamlet because Hamlet for me is a new thing that I'm really interested to hear that evolution of hammock and I'm sure you've got a lot to say on that because I came into it I know that in England we were doing like little baby hammock more out of like fun and necessity 
but it didn't become its own art form that I saw until like this last 10 years. Hmm. I learned a lot of my original choreography on hammock from Sarah Romanowski, who's in Las Vegas. So she's also transitioned from dance. And I was asking, where did this come from? How did someone go? Oh, they just took yeah. a song and tied it. And I was like, okay, I guess that's all we know about it. Yeah, because now, now it's creating all its own language. Like there are now mm -hmm. standard hammock moves. They're so new. It's like, when you're teaching, you're expected to know all these new hammock moves. I mean, I have to say, when I first started teaching, I was looking to people like you, you know, to be honest, to just to see what was accepted as standard. Mm -hmm. And um, and then from there, move forward and uh, creating combos and everything like that. Yep. Um, but I remember, I don't know if this is helpful, but I worked at the supper club for, for mm. a year or so with people who just come out of Erie's. Because my husband was in Iris, and that's why we came oh, yeah, yeah. to Los Angeles. And there was like Elena from that show as a dancer. There was a few of us, and they had a circus company. She kindly invited me to do a residency at the supper club. It doesn't exist anymore. And we were doing lots of different things. I mean, I did aerial pole for the only time ever, which really was quite <laughs> freaky. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, talk about evolution. I was, you know, I was playing saxophone as a devil coming down from the roof on strops. And, you know, we were being really creative. It was a great time. But I remember that they were doing bottle drops later in the night after we'd done our show and they were coming down on hammocks. Mm -hmm. And I think that might have been as early as like 2012, 2013. And I yeah. don't know if they were necessarily doing a full act at that point, but it was definitely a long hammock. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe it came around about that time but I'd be really interested to find out what other people have to say on that because I think that's like one of the newest things come its own art form from something else oh I'm worn out <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being a part of it thank you for yeah. thinking of me I really appreciate it thanks so much for tuning into this episode of aerial evolution in our next episode, we will have Melissa Kulilu, aerialist, choreographer, and circus coach for many companies, including the National Circus School and Cirque du Soleil. And we would love to hear from you. If you have questions or comments about this episode, come and find us on Instagram or Facebook at Aerial Evolution Pod. And both of these links will be in the show notes. And stay tuned for future episodes with other amazing aerialists releasing every two weeks. Until next time.